Welcome to the Swamp Flex Podcast. My name is Brandon Leday. I am Boomer. I am Allie. We are three friends who meet over the internet to discuss movies every couple of weeks. We're going to run down what we've been watching separately, and then we'll all get on the same page about a, a new movie that just popped up on Hulu this week that I'm very excited to have someone to talk to about. I love how you're already assuming we're all going to be on the same page. I love that that's, well, that's your first. The page could be tattered. It could be torn. Mm-hmm. The page doesn't have to be intact. Fair enough. Okay, I need, I need to ask you all something very important. Um, this is like my important business for the day. Can you hear this? No. Okay. Is this supposed to be one of those things where it's like a sound that only teenagers can hear? And so I need to prove how hip I am by being like, yes. No, it's um, a slide whistle, which is a very delightful noise. It is a very delightful noise, and I wish I could hear it. Yes, Discord um, does not allow me to have my sound effects come through <laughs> the microphone. Um, so it'll show up on the recording, but y'all are missing out on some goofballery uh, that I've added to the sound effects arsenal. But uh, I guess that's just for the listeners and not for y'all. Oh. You can't hear the Star Trek bell. Oh, you no. can't hear the slide whistle. Now I have to listen to my own voice just to just to experience this how are you gonna train us to slobber whenever the star trek bell plays if we can't hear it i know how am i gonna know that you're not just putting fart sounds behind everything that we do that is inevitable i i'm going to have the full uh shock jock morning dj sound yes, effect at some point. please <laughs> I'm, I'm building my arsenal <laughs> it'll be better than having to do all these farts live like we have the yeah. past <laughs> a couple of years we're really slacking. I'm starting now. Can you hear it? I cannot. I'm too old. <laughs> yeah, we're not teenagers. We can't we can't hear it. I love this banter for us. We're doing great. What movies have y'all been watching? <laughs> well, um, I will say I have not been watching a lot. You know, we were talking earlier off mic about what I've been up to. Um, and that's taken up a lot of like time of preparation and follow through. So really, the only things that I've watched since we met uh, last time where I did watch our soon-to-be-published movie of the month, our soon-to-be-published movie of the month discussion was about The White of the Eye, which I really loved. Um, But I guess you'll have to tune in to the reading portion of that um, to find out my thoughts. Uh, Side note, I don't know if you guys have heard, but... Right now, America's literacy level is exactly as high or low, depending on if you're an optimist or a pessimist, as it was during the Reconstruction, which explains a whole lot about what's going on in this country, doesn't it? So maybe you'll read it, or maybe you can't. I'm wondering how that plays out regionally, too. But, you know. The numbers match exactly. Really? As far as, I'm, as, far as I No, no, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. I think... Since I live up here in the godless north, we're all like reading fiction all the time. I was um I was at the Midas yesterday for like five hours, uh, and I was the only person there reading a book. But I, I've been the only person wherever I am reading a book almost my whole life. Uh, the only time it's not the case is when I was on the bus. When a, a lot of people read books on the bus, because you know that's life. But. I, we didn't even talk about this off mic, but I got pulled over Friday night for nonsense, break nonsense. Oh, and so I had okay. to spend uh, my entire Saturday at the Midas trying to get that fixed and then also being sent to a junkyard way out in the country where 
another uh, a lady wearing all camo told me that she liked my Sydney Prescott shirt. So it was at least <laughs> worth wow. something. You don't have time for movies. You're going on journeys. Yeah, yeah. you're having real life adventures. I speaking of which, the, the only movie that I really saw was uh, quite uh, an adventure. It was <laughs> Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, directed by all Sam right. Raimi. Um, it was something. I mean, all of my feelings that I've had for years about um, how inappropriate it was to make that first movie the way that they did. I still hold to that, but there was an awful lot of like Sam Raimi Fantasia going on in this movie where, you know, it's been out and it's out on Disney plus. So even though people who think that you can spoil Disney movies or people get very angry about the spoiling of the Marvel movies more than anything else, uh, probably don't listen to this. (laughs) Skip ahead if that's you. You know, anyway, Brandon always posts time codes. So um, there are points in this movie where Doctor Strange possesses the corpse of a version of himself from a different universe. So he looks like a deadite. So it's like Benedict Cumberbatch as like a deadite doing magic. And at one point, he does all of this, like, you know, hand frippery magic nonsense to like (laughs) get a bunch of like um wayward souls that are like strange you must not do necromancy it is forbidden and he like kind of corrals them all together into like a living cloak of demons to carry him around and i was like i think i love this this, actually that sounds great (laughs) this is pretty metal uh, and it's Sam Raimi, so, you know, there are parts of it where I'm like, oh, this is a much better movie than it has any right to be. And then and then it'll go back to doing some, like, you know, Marvel movie boredom stuff for a while, which uh, even that was kind of fun this time around, only in the sense that, like, you know, this was a thing that the internet was going off about whenever this movie was freshly out. Again, it's a spoiler, but again... What are you doing here? If you care about that, uh, John Krasinski is in this movie as like Reed Richards of the Fantastic Four from like a different dimension, and the Scarlet Witch just shows up and just like turn. It's like it's like his, she's putting his body through an invisible like Play-Doh spaghetti maker, where it's just like ripping her out into ribbons and then his head explodes. It's like, <laughs> I was like, what is happening? I love it. Um, there are a couple of really cool sequences and a really, you know, some really cool visual stuff that's like, oh, Sam Raimi really did get the chance to bring more of his style to this than they normally allow, okay. you know, directors in this franchise to do. It's, you know, very clear at points where they like reined him in to make him do sort of the house style stuff. But as someone you know, who really likes his body of work. I'm always happy to see Bruce Campbell on my screen hurting himself. It's, that's, you know, (laughs) that's gold to me. Um, I loved, there's a really cool sequence where, like, Professor Xavier, once again played by, you know, uh, Patrick Stewart, he goes into, like, a mind landscape, which is, like, a really just 
big blank area and there's a version of Scarlet Witch like trapped under this rubble, right? That's just like in the middle of this great white space in the mindscape. And this just like inky red smoke cloud is coming at him. And it's like a really, really cool image. Like I was genuinely surprised how much he was able to get away with doing stuff that is very unlike the output of this like industrial complex you know um there's even a fun sequence where like (laughs) okay so years ago i was trying to describe (laughs) batman v superman to my not yet roommate at the time and i talked about how at the end there's like this weird battle between musical motifs right because that was like one of the things that that movie did have was like an interesting sound design and so you've got like your Batman theme and your Superman theme. And then suddenly out of nowhere, you've also got like this, you know, that wailing woman, but as a guitar sound for like Wonder Woman. Do we all remember yeah, this? Yeah, I remember yeah, that. Like a pro wrestling entrance. Uh, song. Yeah. Yes. And so when I was trying to describe that to my roommate, what he internalized and regurgitated years later was that. The movie somehow had a battle of the bands in it. I'm like, I don't, I don't know how you, like, that's what the part of what I was trying to describe to you that you remember, or that you could remember it in such a comedically incorrect way. Sounds like he was picturing the uh, guitar players from Mad Max Fury Road, yes. like riding alongside the heroes as they like fly in. Yes, um, that's not what's in that movie, but this movie does have a music battle with like musical notes as weapons that was also a very interesting thing to see so there were large swaths of it that i'm going to be very honest are like boring and a like you know i'm not like a marvel defender but like among this group and among this like group of writers i've been the one who wrote about those and saw those and was not necessarily a defender of them because they are like a consumable corporate product. But I was like, look, you know, if you like them, you like them. And I did for a long time. And I'm at a point now where I'm like, I'm so, even I'm getting sick and bored of them. But with all that in mind, this was fun, except for the parts that were the industrial complex. And so there are large swaths of it where I was like, I'm kind of bored. But then when Sam Rainey is back doing his thing, I'm like, oh yeah, this is gross. Cool. Um, but yeah that's like all that I've seen so Allie what have you been watching so I also have not been watching very much at all but since it's been summer weather my neighbors started doing backyard movies again and one that I did a rewatch of was Night of the Comet which I hadn't seen since I was a small child (laughs) um so there was a lot I didn't remember about it, but I love it still. It's great, you know. And then we get young Chakotay. Young Chakotay. Doing all his, like, buff thing. I don't. We don't know if you rang the bell. Yeah, but... we're going to assume. Oh, I, didn't, I had no idea that was even a Star Trek reference, to be honest. So <laughs> I have now rung the bell. <laughs> oh, oh, I heard it that time. Yes, I did hear it too. Yay. I think the <laughs> trick is that I have to talk while I'm doing it. Which is impossible with the slide whistle. So I, I, I got I to gotta figure out a new system. <laughs> Do you have to use the slide whistle 
Did you have to use your mouth for that? Is it like a real slide whistle? Yeah, it's a, it's a real That's whistle. That's like, amazing. Oh, wow. Genuine professional piece of audio equipment I have in my hands here. That's amazing. Wow. All right. <laughs> Dang. Going back to Night of the Comet, though, there's like one shot in that movie that I think is like one of my favorite images in any film I've ever seen. Where they're doing like the standard like '80s shopping mall sequence, where they're all just like grabbing stuff from different stores because yes. you know it's the apocalypse and you do whatever you want. And for some reason, there's just this pan across like I want to say it's like a shoe rack or something. It's very like '80s pop like shopping mall imagery. And then this like manicured hand reaches over to grab a machine gun yes. from the racks of like consumer goods. And for some reason, like, that shot just, like, hit me right in the heart. I'm like, this is beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> this really gets to the heart of this movie in the, in the exactly. best way. There's so much in that movie that it's, like, better than the budget would make you believe. The image I always think about is is the two of them on the hood of the car doing target practice. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Like, a red sky and yes. down and, like, a completely empty downtown L.A. So yeah. good. Uh. Once again, starring, <laughs> I consider her friend of the podcast, even though she probably doesn't know he exists and has never interacted with us, Mary Warnoff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm already in love with anything that has her in it. I'm like, it's already yeah. like a, a head start, yeah. you know? It's already done 50% of the work. Right. If you throw in a Paul Bartel as well. I yeah. Mean, that's, yeah. That's a full balanced diet. Allie, did you know that um, and I'm going to say this person's name and then spit because a pox on them. But did you know that Joss Whedon <laughs> got his image, like his first idea of an image for Buffy from the cheerleading younger sister in this movie? That makes sense, but I did not know that. Also, yeah. that cheer uniform yeah. is amazing. It's like a platonic ideal of a cheerleading outfit. Yeah, I mean... I don't think I've ever seen cheerleading outfits in such good colors is my main thing. Like, it's so beautiful, that aqua and that hot pink. I'm like, oh, I would wear this. And I'm okay. so far from being a cheerleader. <laughs> I don't remember this movie that well because it's been probably a good, like, 10 years since the last time I saw it. But how big of a deal is cheerleading in the story? Like, does she wear the uniform the whole yeah, time? Yeah, she wears What's going the uniform that? basically of, yeah. the whole time. And it's because she was going to go out and meet her cheerleading friends, but then just ended up, like, hiding in the car. Run away. It's the yeah, shed. She the spent shed. the night in yeah, the yeah. shed because of her, her horrible step their stepmom. Yeah. I was uh, I was already planning to watch a bunch of cheerleader horror movies in the next month. So I, I might have to throw that I one on the list. I don't know if it fits a cheerleading horror movie necessarily, because she doesn't really do any cheerleading but no cheers all yeah. right i'm out <laughs> but it is great and it does feature in that she was trying to meet up with her cheer friends <laughs> it has i think one of my favorite lines in a movie ever because i think about this one all the time too which is from that mall sequence where the like leader of the morlocks or whatever <laughs> comes out while they're having their like girls just want to have fun post-apocalyptic shopping montage and they're like you're crazy the, the girls are like you're crazy and he's like i'm not crazy i just don't give a fuck <laughs> and i think about that all the time i think about that line constantly there's something that's just so perfect in the performance and the delivery of it those guys are like horrifying and i don't remember which of my neighbors or if it was the 13 year old 
that was like, why are they doing that? And I was like, because they're enraged young white men. Because that's all the reason you need, unfortunately, in America. Too real. I was like, this is too real. Yeah. But also, you know, that's why that like line and that delivery and that whole scene is just... It just is like this weird, horrifying moment in a movie that is goofy, yes, but also is underlined with these moments. It's just like, yeah, actually, yeah. the apocalypse is frightening, is the thing. But yes... I really enjoyed that viewing, and I think it's the perfect sort of backyard movie. For me, it's part of this spiritual trilogy of eating Raul. Yes, yeah. Because you've got Mary Warnoff and Robert Beltran, and then Paul Bartel and Mary Warnoff's characters also show up in Chopping Mall, which also has the sister. Like one of the one of the women that's in the shopping mall is the cheerleading sister from Night mm-hmm. of the Comet. So like those three movies in my head, they all form like a you know they're not they're not like a real trilogy, but they form sort of like a spiritual group of films. Yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah. So the only other movie I watched, and I was very very excited to finally see it, was Everything Everywhere All at Once. Oh yes. I noticed that's like actually pretty affordable to rent now. It's like four or yeah. five bucks. Yeah, we did that as a backyard movie, which was great. Love it so much. Uh, I cried. I laughed. All of the emotions. <laughs> it was so good. The next day, I like went down the street to get a everything bagel. <laughs> I was like, I need one now. <laughs> But yeah, I loved it. I loved how much of it was very practical. Just like even the hot dog hands. Oh, so beautiful. And how much of, you know, the hot dog hands is like the most, one of the most ridiculous ideas. And then you have like the world where they're both rocks and how so many of like the most touching scenes of the movie happen in those ridiculous situations where you're like, oh, yeah, oh. This is pushing so many of my emotional buttons. Yeah. The rocks the rocks really spoke to right? me, which afterwards I, I recognized what like an absurd like idea that was to have it like mean as much to me as it does. But like, you know Don't worry, just be a rock. It's great when it establishes it, but it when it comes back around yes. and she's like, No, I'm going to connect with you. It's like the simple act of like forcing an inanimate object to move. There's something about that specific idea that, like, really makes it feel so big, like, in your heart, mm-hmm. you know? That's, like, this rock is an immovable object, but, like, that's that's what she's going to do. She's going to make that rock move closer to that other rock without any any way for that to physically happen. That she really is, like, pushing beyond her limits in any conceivable, like, realistic, reasonable way. Yeah. I feel like it's uh, one of those scenes that a lot of people will be very cynical about, especially since the movie has become so popular so quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, it's one of those things that, like, it'll be called out as, like, twee, sentimental nonsense by cynics for, like, cool points online People forever. can't be rocks. Ding. Ding. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I don't know. I don't want to talk too much about this, but I, I went to see the Marcel Michelle <gasps> movie yesterday. And I was like laughing and crying through all of it. And I was like, I am just always going to be susceptible to like aughts era twee bullshit. Like I I will always be on the hook for it. 
don't know if it's because I grew up in that era or whatever, but I felt a lot of it in this. Like, there's a very Michelle Gondry yeah. emotional undercurrent amidst all the, like, practical stuff that Michelle Gondry, you know, inspired in, in the filmmaking as well. But there's, like, this, like, tugging at your heartstring sentimentality mm-hmm. that, like, it's so easy for people to be cynical about it. But if, when I'm watching it and it's on screen, like, I, I instantly cry and it feels yeah. good. I like to hope just based on its success and based on how many people have seen it and how it's just even still like going back to theaters. Like I like to think that people are coming back around to being sentimental. Oh, I'm talking about like two out of every hundred people who see it have to be like cooler than the movie because it's very popular. Yeah. Well, I'm not talking about like a large contingent of people. Um, It's just, you know, Twitter brain makes it so that you have to be cynical yeah. about it to, to well, seem cool. Well, those Twitter brains can get in the trash can where they belong. <laughs> They're the people who are really doing that thing that y'all always think that I'm doing every time we talk about Prometheus. <laughs> no! It's a totally different thing! <laughs> it is, though. Okay. Like, because it's cool to like Prometheus, so... No, no. <laughs> You're being uncool. <laughs> You're losing cool You're losing points. Cool no, I think the thing is fine that with I it. can see I, your I, complaints. I don't want the Kool-Aid. Keep it away. I can see your your complaints as like coming from a very very reasonable pl- place, whereas like when everybody like complains about something, like having emotion or being twee, I'm like, and what's wrong with that? I think a lot of that stuff gets undercut too, where it's like the complaint is like, oh, it's cutesy and sweet and sugary, and kind of like surface level but i i don't know like i find a lot of that art is a lot more complex and like actually like emotionally nuanced in a in a way that it doesn't really get credit for yes. like it's got these like surface level meticulous cutesy imagery to it but um i think the emotions actually run very deep in that stuff yes so like I, i've watched certain scenes in everything or in marcel the shell or uh, i ever watched gondry's science of sleep recently oh nice and, like, there was, like, a lot of genuine emotional stuff that, like, made me think about my life and how I deal with other people well or poorly. And I don't know. I think there's there, it's a lot more complicated than the, like, surface aesthetics of it portray. And it's, like, so easy to dunk on it as a target if, if you're not going to, like, genuinely engage with that emotion. People are afraid of their feelings. Yeah. Yeah. It's so sad. I saw the trailer for Marcel the Shell. <gasps> Um, when I went and saw Everything Everywhere All at Once in theaters, and I was captivated by it, and I, <laughs> I, was, I was with uh, my ex at the time, they were like, I have no interest in seeing that movie. I, like, I don't understand. I'm already crying. Can't you see? I'm already crying. Right. Because I think that this is just the cutest thing that I have Marcel, ever seen. And I have always loved Marcel, so I really want to see it. It's very good. Uh, it, I saw a few, like, the movie versions of TV shows in the past couple months. Mm-hmm. You know, like, we talked about, like, Downton Abbey and, like, Bob's Burgers and stuff like that. And this was actually, like, a better version of that kind of, like, graduating from the small screen to the big screen thing. Yeah. Like, it stayed true to the original shorts. It included some footage from from them. Yay. But, you know, it expanded and all the jokes were funny and I, I cried a lot. So, I don't know. Very good movie. Gosh. Yeah, I have watched those Marcella Shell shorts so many times. Yeah. It's one of those things that's, like, constantly quoted around this house. I've never seen them. <gasps> I didn't know about them before I saw this trailer. 
And then I didn't want to watch them because I wanted to like have my first time be like the first experience, you know? I think, I mean, Brandon, what have you been watching? And would you like to weigh in on uh, that opinion? Because that's all I watched. I think knowing some of the backstory of like how those shorts were made actually enriches the film because Jenny Slate and the director were a couple when they made those back in the twee aughts Mm -hmm. and um they since have i don't know divorced or broken up or whatever their status is they're no longer together and a lot of the movie is about you know the director is in the movie as himself um filming a a quote-unquote documentary about this little shell and um the shell's like pushing him to like get himself back out there and like uh he's, he's uh he's recovering from a breakup I don't know. There's like a lot of subtext that I think is useful if you are aware of their like real life drama. But um I don't think you have to have seen the shorts to like get the movie in any way. <laughs> like it's it's pretty on the surface. Um the shell is very tiny and all the jokes are about how tiny all his stuff is. Compared to what? Love it. <laughs> you know how much I love little things. Oh, it's oh, the whole movie no. is just that over yeah. and over and over again. It's so satisfying every every joke. That was like the opening lines of the first thing I ever wrote for this site was about how much I love little things. <laughs> Borrowers. Yeah. The littles. Honey, I shrunk the kids. Just give me that. I don't want anything but that, really. That's candy for my brain. Well, uh, besides Marcel, I've been watching a lot of um I noticed this like recently, like international genre movies on Netflix. Like I've I've kind of been thinking about like basically just on a practical level like do I need Netflix at all like I I don't really watch much on there besides like trash TV mm-hmm. like really disposable like reality competition shows and I could find that pretty much anywhere it's <laughs> like, really fallen from grace but I okay I was also thinking like there is actually a large wealth of genre movies from like all over the world that yeah. go there and they're like usually pretty interesting but you just you just have to know about them like they're not they're not advertised and unless you live i guess in the country where it's produced it's not going to be on your splash page so you have to know to search for it um i have a trio of asian genre movies i've watched in the past week on there i watched this movie loop lapeda which i actually did not like but it was still interesting It it was an um a bollywood remake of Run Lola Run. Oh, interesting. Yeah. It made me rewatch Run Lola Run, and this is for the first time since uh, I was like a freshman in college. And I was like, "Oh yeah, this movie's fucking perfect. Like every image in it is exciting. Uh, it breezes by. It's got that whole like Euro trash techno like rave culture energy to it. It, it sure it's does. So good. Um, Loop Lapeta. What? What? Okay. What I'm wondering is like. That movie came out in 1998. It's so specific to like European rave culture. Why would there be an Indian remake from this year that goes straight to Netflix? Uh, like, <laughs> what, what is the inspiration source on that? Most of the time, it's money laundering. But I want to hear your your, your <laughs> thoughts. I think it's just the like search for time loop content because like the oh, setup yeah, for Run Lola Run is like loop. just to keep redoing. Uh, this like rescue mission for her boyfriend who needs money in 20 minutes or he's going to rob a grocery store and fuck up their lives. Um, so like she keeps failing, trying to get money before he fucks up. 
So it, it fits very well into that whole like Happy Death Day, Palm Springs, a map of tiny perfect things, all those like time loop movies that have been like flooding streaming platforms the past few I years. I mean, I'm gonna be real, I am a sucker for a time loop. So I understand. That's it. your little thing. That's your little thing. Time travel <laughs> is absolutely like my little things, except I like to like complain when they're bad, but I'll always watch them. It's awful. What I realized pretty quickly watching this one is like the run on the run stuff is not timely at all, but she keeps resetting to a bathroom on her birthday and she's dealing with like drug addiction issues. And um, it's basically just Russian doll. Like, right. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of like a mixture of the two things. Um, and it's got a lot of like late nineties high style visually that I don't remember seeing in a lot of Indian movies lately. Um, and it's got a lot of cussing and like extramarital sex and things that are usually censored in the mainstream Indian movies. I watch drug use and things like that. Um, I think it's because it's like a straight to Netflix production with an American studio and an, uh, an actual like Bollywood studio that they can get away with more mm. censorship wise. Um, so it's it's kind of cool to see like real people doing adult things um, in one of these movies. That that's kind of a novelty, but I don't know. It's also like way longer than Run Lola Run. Not as exciting. They stretch the uh, twenty minute time frame to fifty minutes, which is kind of like a bigger indication of like how the whole thing it just feels kind of like weighed down. Yeah. And, uh, I really appreciated the um, excuse to go back and watch Run Lola Run again because I think it's a perfect film, um, and I have no notes about that one. <laughs> uh, Loop Lapeta is not, you know, living up to that. It's not as good as Run Lola Run or Russian Doll, so it kind of brings up two comparison points um, that are like not doing it any favors. Another one I watched was from Taiwan called Incantation. It is distributed by Netflix, but it played in Taiwanese theaters in March of this year. And was, like, their highest-grossing horror film of all time. Oh, wow. Um, domestically, which I found kind of interesting. Like, I, I would never have heard of it if it, it wasn't, like, what's coming to Netflix this month was how I found it on one of those, like, roundups. Um, it is a found footage movie that's very similar, I want to say, to The Medium. And then it's, like, very, very much riffing on that, like, rural village demonic possession mm -hmm illness that can't really be explained and like is like destroyed through religious rituals like it's a very similar setup and the medium that came out last Here, year yeah. on shutter um ali and i both praised it on this show wait did we, we were there did we watch that one together was that one of the ones that we watched no we watched oh, the whaling was it the one that started as the sequel to the whaling yeah and yes became, okay yes. that one very good All right. yeah so incantation is full of spooky shit all of the imagery is fucking terrifying. It's just because it's like a general haunting, like this woman violates a religious taboo in this like rural village and it follows her home and just like torments her and her child. And because it's like that vague of a source of evil, like it can do anything. So there's just like crazy images of like hell being set loose on earth um, <laughs> uh, to punish this woman for her religious transgressions. I really liked it a lot. It does a good job of like using the found footage format to feel like it's like breaking the fourth wall and like 
making you complicit in like what's happening. Like she's like directly talking to you about like optical illusions and like manifesting thoughts. Like uh, it reminded me a little bit of the Empty Man from a couple years ago as well. So like, it's really smart in that way. But I am not usually a pedantic movie watcher. Like when it comes to like a movie following its own rules, I don't really care if it's like good enough in other ways. And this one is spooky enough to get away with this. But man. It breaks the rules of like found footage filmmaking more than any movie I can name. Like it really just doesn't care about its own premise. We're like, there are two timelines in the movie. There's like modern day, like six years after she she originally was cursed, and then there's like flashbacks to when she you know was in the small town and like brought the curse into her life. So like. It's edited with two competing timelines as if it were a regular narrative feature and not supposedly just like this video blog that was found after this woman, you know, went through hell. That's really annoying. And then also distracting is the fact that like there is no single camera and it doesn't explain how there are like 12 different camera angles in every scene. But supposedly we're watching like a woman film her trials you know, suffering from this curse. And really, I do not like to be the kind of person that nitpicks that kind of thing. But even for me, it was too much. <laughs> it's like, come on. Like, this is like a professional grade narrative film made by a, a movie studio, not something a Willie Deed made on her laptop. And I don't know why we're pretending that it is. Like, if you didn't want to make a found footage movie, why did you bother? So I don't know. Very scary and spooky, but also very loose with its own convictions when it comes to its format which is an easy fix they really should have just had the uh the six years in the past stuff be the found footage tape intersperse some of that imagery in the like modern day stuff but shoot modern day as if it was like a normal narrative and it that would have fixed all my problems with that but yeah anyway i didn't i didn't make the movie so that's not my job um (laughs) and the last one i liked the most even though it tries the least (laughs) it has the like smallest ambitions I watched this Korean, I guess you'd call it a K-drama. Like, it plays like a TV show more than a movie. It's this uh, rom-com about kink called Love and Leashes. And it has all of the trappings of the, like, dumbest, most saccharine, cutesy rom-com fluff. But it's about this woman who reluctantly becomes a dominatrix for her new office co-worker because she wants to date him and he's into that stuff. And she she quickly likes it, but it's not her scene. And she's like doing a lot of like Carrie Bradshaw style um, internet sleuthing, trying to figure out how to be a good dom for this uh, office puppy that she um, adopts reluctantly. <laughs> and, uh, like the meat cute that would normally be the two of them walking dogs and like the dog leashes like tie them up. Instead of that, she receives his Amazon order at work and it's like a spiked dog collar with his name on it. Um, <laughs> it's got every single beat you expect from rom-coms except it's all about sadomasochist stuff and puppy play <laughs> it's also like because it's a rom-com it's like sexless like those movies are not erotic they're cute yeah. so it's got this weird impasse where it wants to be about kinky sex but it is in a format that does not allow for sex at all so it doesn't know what to do with that 
And that would have bothered me if the character herself didn't ask, like, when she's on those, like, internet boards trying to figure out how to be a dominatrix, she, like, asked, like, is it weird that we play so hard and we never have sex? Is that odd? Like, even she's, like, take, taken aback by it, um, which I've, I found kind of forgave that conceit a little bit. It's very cute. From what I've seen from clips of, like, K-dramas that you'll see on, like, uh, I don't know, The Soup used to play some of those, or, like, they'll get passed around on Twitter sometimes. It seemed like the filmmaking was very much like a TV soap opera style, um, and it doesn't really try that hard <laughs> artistically, but neither do any rom-coms. Like, they're just kind of shot in the comedy style of their day, and it's more about um, the character work and the uh, preposterous behavior of its characters and um this does all of that but it's also got a lot of whips and chains and leather gear and uh a really cute korean man barking like a dog um while this uh lady steps on his chest with her new stilettos an interesting mix of tones Whatever its shape is an excellent life support system. But paradoxically, its success will ultimately depend on the ease with which it can be broken. The time comes when a chick must break free. But how do the chicks break out from the cramped confines of the egg? How can the shell that's been strong enough to protect the chick from the outside world be also weak enough to allow the chick to break it? Well, speaking of, like, international genre cinema from this year, I uh, also have been looking forward to this Finnish movie, Hatching, since it premiered at Sundance, must have been 2021. It's been a long time, and all I know was from the posters and, like, some of the, like, capsule reviews was just this giant fucking egg on the posters. Like, I really have been waiting a year just to know what's inside the giant egg on the Hatching poster. And it's finally on Hulu now, so it's, like, super accessible. We're recording this relatively quickly after the movie premiered on Hulu. So if you haven't seen it, it's a fairy tale creature feature about a giant egg and something hatches out of it. And we have to spoil what that thing is. So um, get used to the idea that we will be discussing every plot point from hatching. <laughs> because it happens so early. I did not expect it to. Yeah, like... I guess because I've been waiting so long to know what's in Big Egg that, like, I expected the mystery of what's in Big Egg to be, like, a large part of the movie, but it really isn't. Like, in the early stretch, um, we're looking at a family who um, has an, like, mommy blogger Instagram mom at the head of it. Um, she controls everything about her family's public image on social media and seems to make a life out of it, like, as a career. And um, films their perfect suburban lifestyle of in Finland for her loyal followers, mostly to the detriment of her gymnast daughter, who loves her very much. But the mother only um, appreciates her contribution to the family content. Like she doesn't actually engage with her daughter in any genuine way, other than like filming her like workout routines and like competitions for the blog. The mother kills a bird that intrudes in the house um, and the daughter feels very distraught about this and um and what appears at first to be a dream sequence but turns out to be just a fairy tale conceit um the dead bird emerges from its little grave in the compost bin and um leaves an egg in the forest 
and the gymnast's daughter brings the egg back to her bedroom, and then the egg grows very big, and then it hatches. And out from inside of it is a humanoid bird creature named Ollie, spelled the same way as Allie. Named Allie? Y'all finally found out my true form. (laughs) It's got kind of like a somewhat cute Jim Henson look to it, but in the way that like... Jim Henson's, like, swamp monsters are, like, absolutely fucking disgusting and grotesque, but you still kind of want to take them home with you. Like, it reminds me of, like, something in the labyrinth or something coming out of the swamp. And it's done, from what I can tell, mostly practically. There there are a lot of CG effect shots in it, but a lot of it also is this little girl interacting with this disgusting bird puppet. And then gradually the bird puppet starts to look more and more like her and eventually becomes her doppelganger. And it's her way of acting out against the uh, control in her house. Um, this is very much in the same canon of like puberty as monstrous transformation stories like Ginger Snaps or Carrie or Teeth. You know, it's It's a metaphor we've seen before. I think what this one does is it adds an extra layer where it's not just about the ways that like puberty changes your body uh, and your personality. It's also wow. about mothers living through their children in unhealthy ways. And um, that, that obviously has two layers. There's both the mother who's using her daughter for content. And then um, the little girl herself is using her own daughter, bird creature to uh, live out her like darkest impulses. Um, as she's starting to lash out for the first time and stop being just like a well-behaved little girl, like she's becoming her own person in ways that um, have actual damage. The, the, the monster is a killer, like all monsters are. So I, I thought this was a pretty great coming-of-age creature feature kind of thing. Um, and I, I really appreciate that storytelling template in the Ginger Snap style. Uh, and I think it added enough of an extra layer to it where it became its own thing. Not not just the monster design, which feels relatively new to me. Like I, I can't think of too many movie monsters that just look, look just like Ollie. But also, um, I think the, the mother-daughter dynamics between the mommy blogger, her gymnast daughter, and then the creature, I feel like was very interesting as like an extra layer on top of all that. What did y'all think about Hatching? I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun in some weird way and also i love the little creature it's ugly cute oh okay see see (laughs) they're not all on the same page but i don't know i liked it um the folk sort of fairy tale aspect to it and then the idea of like discovering like you know your young like sexuality and stuff uh reminded me for some reason of um, little otek Oh yeah, really enjoyed that. Another like creepy, cute monster sort of movie. Yeah, and and it has that kind of changeling angle, yeah. which feels like very traditional folktale. Yeah, for sure. I'm always a sucker for those kind of like folktale type fairy tales, though. I mean, it's just it's my jam, especially if there's a monstrous creature involved. Very into it. One part that I haven't really talked about so far is the the family dynamic here is also falling apart and broken so you know there's a lot of things for her to like act up about i mean you know rather she doesn't understand the family dynamic i I wouldn't necessarily say like seems like they got their stuff figured out yeah the mother's um the way the mother introduces 
her new boyfriend into the household is completely inappropriate yeah. um, and breaks the daughter's heart because she doesn't fully understand what her mom means when she says that I've never loved anyone yeah, that I was like, before this oh. man. I was like, that is not something you say to your, your child at all. But maybe the mother means it literally yeah. too. Like uh, she, she doesn't really interact with her husband or kids yeah. very much other than like through the camera lens. Yeah, I mean, she's always so, like yeah. pushing the little brother away. Just like constantly. She's a great movie villain, to be honest. <laughs> she's infuriating. Yeah. That sort of evil mother part of it like the the vain mother in particular gives it sort of a snow white quality mm-hmm. yeah even though it's her mother rather than her stepmother so i'm i'm completely on board with that and there is like a bit of a changeling fantasy going on but i like that we're sort of introduced to the idea that the daughter is sort of bird like from the very first shot which is her doing her oh, like gymnastic yeah. stretch routine and you can, and it's like it's a very close up on her back Aww. where you can see the bones of her spine in this very bird like bending kind of way. So like very early on, the visual language, which uh, there, what was weird, <laughs> what was weird about this movie is that I don't it it looked strangely cheap to me in some ways, just like lighting choice wise, it has very nice even clean tv lighting which i think is meant to be sort of evocative of what this mother is trying to like create as the aesthetic of her home Mm -hmm. yeah but in practice what it does end up doing a little bit is making it look kind of you know easy tv movie i had a hard time adjusting to that but it grew on me because the set design is so plastic and like dollhouse like especially like all that floral wallpaper and everyone wallpaper is everywhere yeah. oh it's beautiful but also it's cheap and tacky say, it kind of <laughs> reminds me of the wallpaper i hate that's in my kitchen so i was like not on board i love it because it's like a little girl playing dress up with her own yeah, family yeah. And by little girl i mean a middle-aged woman who is living through her yeah. children um unhealthily yeah. yeah so i i don't know it it, the cheapness did bother me at first, but I, I feel like it kind of leans into it, and it's just like it knows it's working on a limited budget, and I guess it throws all of its money in those creature effects. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah. instead, like the cheapness just gives it kind of like this like, Stepford quality to the surroundings. It gets away with it in my eye. Yeah, there there is a plasticness. You're right, and especially like everything is just so over designed, and there's so much crystal. Just waiting and ready to be destroyed by the ingress of this bird. That bird, like that bird, destroyed everything. Really, just like broke broke everything <laughs> in that house. Just like its offspring would do. Which I think is sort of. I think there's something really interesting going on with the fact that this bird creature hatches, and then grows to look more and more like Tinia over time. Because both of the children, <laughs> they're very like fairy tale like in that the boy looks just like his yeah. father. Like they have the same yeah. glasses and they often dress identically. While Tinia is like clearly her mother is trying to mold her in her own image as well. And to achieve things through her. Yeah. <laughs> just like really what like makes her infuriating. They never really outright come out and say that like she's giving Tinia an eating disorder. But she clearly is, is. Yeah. because like part of the metaphor there with the bird is it's like she's regurgitating food for the bird. Yeah, mm-hmm. and 
you know, her mother also is like policing what she eats and giving her a grapefruit, which oh is like God. such a stereotypical like diet food. Yeah. You know, the movie like is pretty smart about things like that. Like you're thinking about bulimia without anyone, without anyone ever saying it. Or like when the new boyfriend walks in on the doppelganger, Tina, and um, she just freaks out at him, just blindly screaming. It's like, oh, that's the kind of temper tantrum you have when you're a teenager and like the hormones are flowing through you and you just have like just wild, unchecked rage just flying in every direction. Like that felt like part of like the whole puberty metaphor in like a way that wasn't really discussed openly. They didn't really put a pin on it. But the menstruation thing, I thought, like, they they went to that well, like, one too many times, where, like, after the egg hatches, there's this, um, you know, giant bloody mess on the bed that mm-hmm. she just throws her comforter on very quickly to hide from her parents um, as they walk into her room. And I was like, oh, okay, I, I feel like they're also doing that there. Like, they're calling, like, there's, like, a first menstruation, like, visual motif there. And then, like, maybe three or four scene later, scenes later, they do it again, but this time the dad notices the blood on the bed and, and like, acknowledges, like, oh, that's what's going on with you this week. That's why you're acting so weird. Oh, my God. <laughs> I thought those were the same scene. <laughs> Something in my brain just made them happen together. I think it's, like, two two different scenes. Maybe two or three. I don't know. I just feel like they went to that well, like, a, a few times where, like, everything else felt, like, a little more subtly handled. But in a movie that's not trying to be very subtle in general, like it, it to me played like a dark comedy a lot of the times. Yeah. Like, yeah. That that bird scene where the bird flies around and smashes every crystal object in that living room, I thought was funny as hell. Yeah. <laughs> After the tension of that awful uh, fake video about how perfect their lives were, like the bird wrecking their, all of their shit in like a minute was very funny to me. Okay. When you're talking about a dark comedy, I, I do want to bring up something that I noticed, which is. Have either of you ever heard of this like TV show, uh, Two Sentence Horror Stories? Oh, it sounds like a Reddit and not a TV show. It does, yeah. So it was like a Reddit, like you know, thing I think originally, or just oh, it okay. originated on the internet somewhere where it's like people would write little two sentence horror stories, and then I would often see these like collected into listicles over the past 10 years, whatever, right? And then I guess. Four years ago or so, the CW optioned to like make a show where they would have what's the story style called with vignettes? Like a horror anthology? Anthology. Yeah. So they made like an anthology show of these like two sentence horror stories. And like that was one of the things that became very early work from home background noise for me at the beginning of the pandemic. And I remember thinking these these like two sentence horror stories work because they're just very short they're very simple it's that you know for sale baby shoes kind of like brevity where you bring all of those external ideas and by making them more um concrete with a full like 22 minutes with commercials of like leading to that two sentence horror story at the end uh where it just kind of flashes on screen it kind of cheapened the effect of a lot of it and but all the criticism for it online was just that the show was too woke which made me have like a knee-jerk reaction where like i'm gonna be a big supporter then because you know like one of the stories and like specifically that has like had like circulated online was um about the monsters being right outside the door or you know you're actually treated as the monster like a very subtle thing about that 
and then the episode itself becomes like it's a story about Latina like house maid, not like a maid, but like a person who comes around and cleans domestic and then she worker. has yeah. domestic worker who uh has to defend this like little white girl child of her very rich white uh employers from like a home invasion. And then she goes home and then there's a knock at her door and it's like ice. And it's like, oh, the monsters are always right outside, you know, whatever. And of course, you know, people who really love fascism were like, this show's too woke. You know, I refund ICE, give them more money. So to me, the, one of the ones that was frequently repeated online was like, I heard my mother calling me from downstairs, or I heard my child calling for me, but I looked under the bed and she said, I don't know what that is either, mom. So like that's sort of like the subtle like horror of like, oh, is the child downstairs? Is this the monster I'm with? Is there a monster downstairs posing as my child? This movie felt like an episode of that, sort of made longer and given a bigger budget, but not much bigger. Other than that bird, I think the bird is weird enough to sustain it, though. Like, I agree. I didn't know where it was going from beat to beat, really, even though the metaphor is very on the surface and like there isn't much change to it once it starts happening. But like every interaction between Tina and Ollie, I was like, I don't know what what's happening here. Yeah. Like, I don't know where this is going two scenes from now. Um, and the bird was just so weird to look at that um, I found it kind of thrilling. But it is very simple. Like it, there's like a setup punchline aspect to it, which I feel like is what you're describing. Yeah. What did you think of the bird? I feel like you're dancing around your opinions on this bird creature. You know, I thought it was very cool looking. I really liked the teeth sticking oh. through the cheek and that yeah. like early. In its earliest form, I thought it was very cool looking and like gross, not in like a gross, cute way that y'all did apparently, because I never saw the dark crystal when I was a kid. So, but like, I didn't, the more like humanoid it became, the more I was like, okay, this is still cool. But when it just looked like her and then had like the bird mouth, I didn't care for that. But I did like the weird bird with its giant eyes was a lot of fun. Yeah, you know? mm-hmm. I think the eyes are what make it cute in my yeah, head. my like, head too. Like kind of a stuffed animal quality to those eyeballs. Also, I mean, there's just like something about like horrifying monsters trying so hard to like please a person that is just like weirdly yeah. adorable to me. I'm like, oh, I brought you a dead dog. Don't you like this? I thought you hated <laughs> the dog. <laughs> yeah, that dog annoyed you for ten seconds, so I decapitated it. This is good, right? There's just something about that that, like, is very charming to me. And maybe, you know, that just says a lot about me as a person that I'm like, oh, the monster's trying so hard. I was trying to think of, like, what other creatures from movies this thing reminds me of. And I could not think of anything recent. Yeah. Like, I was thinking about Jim Henson creations. I was thinking about the zombie rat in Dead Alive. Mm -hmm. Like, all stuff from like 30, 40 years ago. So I, I couldn't really compare it to anything recent. And that kind of plastic overlit Netflix era filmmaking style that it has is so recent. And it's so much about mommy blogging and like yeah. um, social media clout. Uh, it's kind of interesting to have this old fairy tale quality and this old practical effects puppetry in that modern context. I don't know. There's something kind of uncanny about it in that way. 
The other thing that I kept thinking about the whole time while I was watching it was Monkey Shines. Monkey Shines is great. It's a movie about a man who uh, was like a successful law student and was very like obsessed with fitness. And uh, while he's out for a run, he gets hit by a truck and paralyzed. And so he has like a real complex about it when it comes to like his girlfriend and then also like his mom who tries to come and help him. Um, so what they do is they get his buddy is involved in this monkey research where they're trying to make monkeys super smart. And there's also a secondary monkey research thing going on about like helper monkeys being used as nurses. So he ends up with like a super smart monkey nurse that acts out like violence based on his subconscious, sort of like what's happening in this movie where the bird creature is attacking people that it either perceives as being competitors to Tina or that Tina has like subconscious hatred for. And it's th- there's a lot of monkey shines happening in this movie. Well, now I got to see monkey shines. Yeah. I really enjoyed this. I didn't know what it was going to be exactly, except I had to know what was inside of Big Egg. Um, and I found the answer to that mystery very satisfying. I, I definitely, yeah, I liked it a lot. I don't know. Like I said, I just, I'm a sucker for sorts of dark fairy tales. It's like, just plot me in front of like a marathon of dark fairy tale shit and I'll be perfectly content. No complaints from me. I should also note that, um, Allie, I, I might have shown this movie to you um, a while back, but like my friends from Memphis in the early 2010s made this movie called What I Love About Concrete. And it was about a little girl taking a swan egg back to her bedroom and hiding it from her parents and it hatches. Oh and there's God. like a humanoid so swan familiar. I feel like you did show this. Yeah. There's a lot of like Memphis um, iconography yeah. just them walking around yeah, town. Yeah. I told you my family is from there, so yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, my friends from there made a movie. Yeah, I'm sure you could find what I love about Concrete online. You can at least find a trailer. The story is very similar in its like bare bones premise to this. Um, this is just way grosser, <laughs> and the humor's um, I would say darker here. Like I, I think this movie is genuinely funny on purpose. Hatching mm-hmm. is. Um, but I think the humor is like kind of cruel and just bleak in a way that a lot of Finnish comedies are. Yeah, I was so. going to say, it seems to be a Finnish sort of thing. Yeah, Thomas uh, watches a lot of Finnish uh, YouTube and this made me appreciate Finnish YouTubers he watched because they are not weird and polished and creepy. Yeah, like that version of suburbia that it's making fun of almost feels American by default yeah. to me. Like, I'm used to that kind of, like, David Lynch, Stepford, like, what's really going on under the surface of these perfect little houses thing in an American suburb context. So that was kind of interesting to see it transplanted somewhere else with the same homogenized culture. Like, you practically expect a live, laugh, love throw pillow to be on one of those little couches. Oh, my God. Yeah. There might have been, and we just didn't know it. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever the fit finish. I don't know. She is. seemed like a hip mommy blogger, you know, quote unquote. She's very boho. Yeah. Like, I assumed that the reason their compost bin was so full is, like, you know, they do a lot of raw organic foods. They also post some recipes, you know. That's just trad wife bullshit, though. Like, <laughs> I know. I know. 
we never see her cooking anything. She's never cooking anything. No. Is there even a dinner scene in that house? No, it's only ever breakfasts. Yeah. And birdseed. Lots of birdseed consumed. Lots of birdseed consumed. Twice. (laughs) Consumed, regurgitated, consumed again. Just like God intended. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Hatching is available on Hulu, like we said. Um, I assume if you've listened this far, you've already seen it. Um, And if not, I hope we convince you to check it out, because I think it is a good little low-budget creature feature. Very cool that, like, stuff plays at festivals like this all the time and doesn't always make it to wide distribution, and this one's just right out there on one of the main streaming services. Yeah. You know, it was recommended to me by the algorithm whenever it was for rent, you know? And so I had watched this trailer and was just sort of like waiting for it to become a less expensive rental. And whenever you said it was going to be on Hulu like three days before we recorded, I was actually very excited and pleased. Well, next week on the show, we're going to be talking about the art of the remake. We're going to be talking about a bunch of movie remakes. Um, I'm going to go a little hard and watch the originals and the the remakes that we've assigned each other. Brittany came up with this concept. She wanted to talk about the erotic thriller remake of The Postman Always Rings Twice with Jack Nicholson and Jessica Lange. And we'll also be discussing Scarface, The Blob, and the new Father of the Bride, which uh, is very much in that same overlit uh, direct-to-streaming content filmmaking style. (laughs) And that one's on HBO Max. Also, um, as Boomer mentioned, Movie of the Month is coming back this week. We're going to be talking about Wide of the Eye. I want to say that's our first Golan Globus, like, canon group film on that feature. That can't possibly be true. But I can't name another one. (laughs) Is it just because... Between us all, we had all mostly already seen all of them. All the great ones, yeah. Yeah. And therefore, this was the only one that was a novelty to some and of us. Honestly, as far as those films go, it's artfully shot um, and like constructed and like cerebral in a way that you no- don't normally get from canon groups. Like It has all like the trashy sex and violence that you expect from canon, but like the way it's put together, it kind of feels like a feature-length dream sequence. So it's it's a very strange entry in the uh, the canon canon. So I don't know if 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 you have not seen that particular Golan Globus movie, I recommend checking out Wide of the Eye and our conversation on it. I recommend it without reservation. It's on Tubi. I thought it was. I mean, well, I guess I have some reservations, but God, horrible. I mean, great, <laughs> but like awful. <laughs> so good. It's hard to describe. Truly, yeah. one of the greatest things I've ever seen. And we'll talk to y'all next week. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Yeah.